Actually, can I tell you something deeply embarrassing that happened today? <laughs> Please do. Go ahead. I, I got back from a run, and since it's been raining here in Los Angeles, usually I hang my clothes out on the patio on a clothesline. Mm -hmm. But I thought, oh, it's raining here. It's still threatening to rain. I might as well bring my clothes inside. Um, mm. I, it's not like I went hard. The temperature was low. It's not like I sweat through my well, clothes. Well, we, we could have safely assumed you didn't go hard at all. So. <laughs> Great. Would Adam, you, <laughs> would you let me finish the story? All right. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure this is an absolutely riveting story. I'm, I'm sure it's it is. All right, a grand conclusion. <laughs> yes, it's coming to a grand conclusion. All right, because I come out of the shower and my wife has Kleenex plugged in her nose. And I thought, oh, oh, wow. oh no. Oh no, do you have allergies? And she said no. And I'm, uh, I put the fear of God, oh God, do you have, are you coming down with a cold? And she said no. And then I'm like, what is it? And I was like, you smell so bad. I've had to plug my nose with Kleenex. <laughs> Greg, the news on everyone's lips. And thankfully, like manna from heaven, we finally have it. We have the Godzilla versus Kong trailer. Finally. People not, are, not, not a people moment are, too soon. <laughs> people are on bated breath. They're like, what is happening with this movie? I need to know. <laughs> Between this and the Bernie sitting down meme, I feel like uh, <laughs> nature is healing, question mark. Or at least our, <laughs> our minds are returning to some kind of um, stasis or sanity. I won't say sanity, but at least some, some something we recognize pre-2015, let's say. There you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why 2015? Why do you think that's the Because that's technically... Oh, because that's when he started running. You're right. Yeah, and that's when he dominated the news cycle. Yeah. That's true. Okay. I'm going to be yeah. pedantic about that, yeah. Mm, good. No, that's, a, that's an excellent point, Greg, because, again, like time is just an illusion to me. I'm like Dr. Manhattan. I just see everything as a <laughs> flat circle. Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's 1963. It's the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Dr. Manhattan and that I tire of this earth and <laughs> tangle <laughs> these people's lives and want to fuck off to Mars. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. <laughs> yeah. But in any event, yeah, not a moment too soon. Not only, like, two months. I don't understand the strategy. Usually, like, trailers come out a year, sometimes like a year and a half of advance of a, a big release, but they've been holding this one close to the chest. God, I can only imagine why. Um, <laughs> Well, it's been no secret. Unfortunately, you know, despite the, the taste of the American people, the, the Monsterverse <laughs> movies have been underperforming, which, again, like the, the foolhardiness of these movie studios thinking like, we'll make our own cinematic universe and we'll make yeah. Buffalo box office, just like the Marvel movies. And if I'm remembering correctly, again, time and illusion to me, I, so I learned nothing from history. Yeah. The Marvel movies up until the Avengers were just okay in terms of performance-wise. It was when they all came together, that was the big one, right? That was the big billion-dollar property, yeah. yeah. And that built anticipation for subsequent releases. It's kind of like, um, I, let me think of the proper analogy. Maybe like the, the first Jurassic Park movie is what propels other ones, and then you have diminishing returns, whereas... Like you had these little, you had these kind of smaller movies that were more modestly successful. Like, gosh, even like the first Thor movie didn't even break, gosh, uh, 150 million at the U.S. Mm -hmm. box office. Like now, if that happens to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, or whatever, like people are like, this is a complete failure. This is a catastrophe. Fire everyone at Warner Brothers. Like, mm. I mean, that's just good policy, regardless yeah. of how well they're doing. So, <laughs> I know. I, I, not just because of the quality of the films, John, but the logo, the new logo. I know you have thoughts. Um, uh, uh, Kong versus Godzilla? I think it's fine. 
I mean, you th- oh, you like the new minimalist approach? Yeah, because I mean, obviously, and also they set it up. It's like they're using the same type that they used from Godzilla and the same type they used from you know the legendary movie Kong Skull Island, which we all remember and talk about on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they just combine those two, and I think it's fine. Like I'm okay. not, I'm not mad about it. You know, I, I understand the impulse. You know, I was, I was getting um, 70s and early. Gosh, <laughs> this is good. sorry. This is the dorkiest thing I've ever said on this podcast, and that's saying something. <laughs> but I was getting the vibes of the. 70s and early 80s Warner Brothers logo where it was just like three lines and a dot. I can actually show you right here. I have a book from Warner Books. What? I will show you. Yes. It's my thesaurus that I have handy, but it's from Warner Books and this is the old... do you want to describe it in our non-visual medium? <laughs> it's 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 like three three pills, but one is yeah. tinier than the other, and they're yes. they're a kind of they're kind of askew, so they look like angles from a so they they do kind of read as a W. I mean that's very classic that's classic uh, international uh, style right there. Yes, that's like, and it's know. and it's inside of a squircle, a square, a rounded uh, square, which mm-hmm. is the the seventiest yeah. of shapes. I think. <laughs> I mean, you can just hear the when they animated it, it was the ding, 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 like a classic. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> In any event, welcome to our design podcast. It's called Aspiring <laughs> Snobs, where we pick apart uh, design and aesthetics. Uh, yeah, <laughs> generally around uh, things you can't see. Um, we really, we really muck this one up. Um, <laughs> no, we're not here to talk about uh, movie logos. We're here to talk about the movies themselves. Yes, we're t- we're here talking. We're revisiting classic movies and and mm. adjudicating whether they deserve classic status or not. And this one this one's been a long time coming. We decided to wait until after you know President Cheeto was out of office. We decided Pre- who? who? <laughs> Greg, do you not remember the past four years? No, John. Again, with our current news cycle, I could barely remember forty eight minutes ago. So, there you go. <laughs> which is why I feel like we're returning to some sense of normalcy in, in, in air quotes mm. <laughs> in now that we have a meme that can last longer than three days and um what's what's roiling the discourse is a trailer for a movie that people will see and never and never talk about again <laughs> remember bean dad bean dad was this year <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no yeah we're talking about uh movies that may be prescient for the time and you know not not really enjoying this time i can see why we wouldn't want to revisit it but now um with some distance i.e 48 minutes from uh as you said our 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 um flirtation with um fascist authoritarianism and just outright idiocy and just um making plain all of our uh, ills and failures as a nation <laughs> um now we're finally ready to move on and look at uh, how this movie, this classic, uh, relates to the modern day. Of course, we're talking about our, our second Ilya Kazan joint um, and the debut of one major star. We're talking about uh, 1957's A Face in the Crowd. Look out for him. He's mean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Griffith, another sensational newcomer from Ilya Kazan, who brought you Marlon Brando and James Dean and Carol Baker. Bean dad of its day, many would say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the bean dad of its day. I can just put that on the poster. <laughs> Criterion Collection should John, write an essay of how it relates to bean dad for Criterion. <laughs> I mean, again, the bean dad discourse never never truly leaves us when you think about it. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> I, I wish that we could attract a attract fans period but also like attract fans to older episodes mm. but the thing is we get too contemporary and i don't think we'll ever get more contemporary than bean dad <laughs> something which roiled a social media network that less than 20 percent of the population uses <laughs> about some idiot embarrassing himself like i don't yeah. know like this is high school again or something and he's apparently ken jennings friend i was so confused on why ken jennings was involved in all this but apparently he works with ken jennings so okay and anyway we're getting off topic already <laughs> yes yeah uh we're revisiting the 1957 film a face in the crowd and uh you mentioned that we had done an Ilya kazan movie before please remind me what that was because i don't that remember. was east of eden ah that was our that was our um first foray into james dean territory mm. um because level uh rebel without a cause we had to pay for whereas east of eden was streaming um <laughs> there you go <laughs> Same with this one. Um, streaming now on HBO, on HBO Max, where you can see uh, Kong vs. Godzilla coming soon. Dude. The service that we just said was a good idea if they fired everybody. So yeah, <laughs> and and possibly the worst streaming service um, according to brilliant filmmakers of their day. I'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll anyway, get to that. Yeah. Anyway, the the movie itself. So. The reason this has gotten, well, its reputation precedes it because it's directed by a, a lionized director in Ilya Kazan, a controversial one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we spoke to that in East of Eden, and we'll, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but also, it launched uh, the career of Andy Griffith. Griffith or Griffin? It's Griffith, yeah. Griffith. Yeah. Like the park. Yes. <laughs> in Los <laughs> Angeles, where you live. Yeah. <laughs> it, it launched the career of Andy Griffith. Um, playing this ultra charismatic figure, and the reason it's it's gained relevance today is because um, he he basically uses his wilds to gain influence uh, politically, commercially, and to become a celebrity. And it's it's basically this huge tragedy, this rise and fall of this great charismatic figure. Only it's got this this um, particularly American filigree, and um, may relate to a a particular. Um, a uh, businessman turned celebrity turned politician that you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. That's right, Pete Buttigieg. It's telling the Pete Buttigieg story. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, there's obviously a lot of satire too to be mined over uh, America's relationship with television, because yeah. television was, you know, a fairly recent invention at this time, and its power to kind of rile the masses has never mm-hmm. really kind of been discussed at this point. Um, yeah. So I like I was getting a lot of shades of network watching this movie. Although it's really hard watching this movie because. We we revisited a Star Is Born, and there's mm-hmm. there's a kind of unwritten rule in you know in Hollywood that you have to remake a Star Is Born every like two decades. Yeah. I feel like the same should apply to a Face in the Crowd, <laughs> because <laughs> there's obviously so much of this movie that feels contemporary, that feels kind of timeless, but also at the same time, you know, it's like Johnny Smokes, check out Johnny Smokes. <laughs> it's yeah. presented by, you know, it feels it feels very much of the era, which is kind of quaint and nice. But there's also so much universality to the story as well. You know, the the rise and fall and, you know, how how a simple man becomes a demagogue, a demagogue overnight. So, yeah. And it's not just television. Let's say mass media, because the the movie begins with a a podunk Arkansas radio station. Um, A homespun woman named Marsha is is looking for a literal face in the crowd, like looking for interviews with talented folk and interesting people Mm -hmm. and hoping to give 
them some attention. And, and again, if this were done today, time. she would be a podcaster, a Kelly McEvers type, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, going around being like, I'm telling American stories, yeah, <laughs> you know, or literally like a, on Trump safari, you know, yeah. like who are these lowly folks? <laughs> or, or literally, New York Times had a Humans of New York feature, which I think actually didn't start with New York Times. No, it was that, like just so, that was just a media. photo blog. That was just a guy going around with a camera. That's how that yeah. started. Yeah, I think it was like a Tumblr or something. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> But um, uh, fortuitously, or not fortuitously, we'll see. Mm. Um, she runs into a guy that only goes by Rhodes um, at the local at the local prison. Drunk tank, like it's a, it's a small holding pen full of colorful, colorful characters. Um, and so she she happens upon this guy named uh, Rhodes, who she names who she dubs Lonesome Rhodes as like a little pun or something. Mm-hmm. And then we realize that yeah, he's a homespun guy. He can spin a tail. He can play guitar. He can improvise. Like yeah, he's got the, he's got the chops. So she decides to give him some airplay or radio time, and like and maybe this is like the the part that strains credulity. They get the numbers back and like, wow, he's a big hit. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's keep him on. And then it builds and builds. Like he's got opinions about the local sheriff who wants to run for mayor, and he says, I, I, I'll I'll sway, I'll I'll show my sway here. Uh, take your dog. Like I don't think he's qualified to be a local dog catcher. Take your dog over to his house at this address. Yeah. And, and yeah, like like all social satire it has to be exaggerated a little bit, but like yeah, he has the masses. He already has this masses, i.e., this local uh, Arkansas affiliate, like in the palm of his hand, and they all take their dogs to this uh, to this mayor who, uh, or excuse me, this mayor old candidate who is like blustery and frustrated and throws his hat down and can't corral the dogs and uh, like ruins his political political life. You never heard of name of Rhodes. Hey, what's your first name? Oh, Jack or Mac? What's the difference? Calls himself Lonesome Rose. Lonesome? <laughs> hey! Hey! Hey, don't be rushing me. Cut that thing off a minute. Give me a chance to lubricate my Adam's apple. A little snake medicine put you in the mood. Ain't Mama Beauty? Oh, a guitar beats a woman every time. You know I never have seen a woman I could trust like this old guitar. Love my Mama guitar. There is something well observed about his rise, which is, you know, he's a populist at heart. And what I yeah. do appreciate about the movie is what initially gets him his kind of crowd and his audience is the fact that he's talking about kind of populist ideas. Like part of the people he goes after are like stay at home women. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. they work so hard and people don't appreciate them. And it's like, oh, wow, he actually cares about the plight of marginalized people. Like later when he gets his TV show, like he brings on black families who are struggling. And, you know, so he's not like ginning up like the racism as you would see other demagogues do. But, yeah. you know, like, again, the progressive ideals and again, like speaking for the common folk, the person who's marginalized, the person who doesn't have a voice. And so that's how he kind of gains his influence at the start. That's how that's how it starts. <laughs> yeah. That's how it starts, and I do like the beginning of the movie because it does feel very small. Mm-hmm. It is about the relationship between, the, like, as you said, not just him and the people and, and espousing this populist message, but also between him and Marsha. Uh, Marsha's mm-hmm. the one that goes to bat for him and who, like, really uh, builds him up, uh, which helps because 
and this is this is where we kind of reach the limits of credulity. Andy Griffith, like obviously America, like one of America's dads, like you know a beloved you know stentorian figure in sitcoms or whatever. In this movie, he is so annoying. <laughs> he's 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 quite over the top, which I yeah. kind of appreciated. I kind of appreciated him going to one hundred twenty percent. He turns it up to eleven. <laughs> like yeah. that laugh of his is like, <laughs> and it zooms in on his tongue, just like yeah. oscillating, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, but like again, this it's social satire, so it's not like we should expect nuance or anything, or or, or dialing dialing the exaggeration down a little bit. But I wanted to see like kind of the other side of the story because it's like from here, it's a natural progression. Like, oh, he's the biggest thing in our, in this Arkansas market. Let's bring him to Memphis, this big city market. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like, oh, suddenly he's the biggest sensation in New York City. Like, and they don't like for one second, <laughs> not even acknowledge like my side of the thing, which is like, yes, he's he's kind of this charming country bumpkin. Also, he's very annoying, and I'm repelled by him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the movie does. I think part of the struggle with the movie is it does kind of play with time a little too fast and loose. Yeah. Like this would be kind of like a believable, I think, rise and fall if it kind of felt like it was more stretched out. But the way the film is edited, we, you know, we fade to black weeks later. And, you yeah. know, um, there's only kind of one moment, I think, towards the middle, which really stuck out to me as like this very artistically done like montage. This is after he's like gotten in with the Madison Avenue. Fo- or is it? Yeah, it's it's when he starts uh, pushing the uh, what is the what's the snake oil he starts uh, pushing Vitajex. Vitajex, you know, yeah. it's like ooh, you give me that feeling, <laughs> it's, you know. <laughs> it's basically a boner pill, but they can't say it's a boner pill. But he figures out a way to, to kind of sell it as a as yeah. a you know as snake oil, which is what it is. This episode brought to you by Hims. Hims. <laughs> Do you have erectile dysfunction but don't want to feel like an old man? Hims is for you. <laughs> Come on, John, don't be ridiculous. This this broadcast is brought to you by Roman. <laughs> I've been feel I've been have such low energy these days. Exactly. I'm there and my marriage is in tatters. <laughs> I mean, this movie's kind of ridiculous. Like this idea that like just an average Joe could just like be hawking products that basically do nothing. Hey, did you listen to Joe Rogan this past week? What's he up to? <laughs> no, I haven't. I've been listening to Alex Jones instead. And hmm, he has interesting. Some, yeah. <laughs> He devoted a lot of time to to his products. Yeah, he has a. <laughs> what you doing to me? Fighter jet. What you doing to me? You fill me full of ooh, and ecstasy. Fighter movie has no contemporary uh, basis whatsoever <laughs> yeah well here it's also it it loses me somewhat because like yeah we're, we're goofing on today but those are pretty small bore i think if you ask the average american what hymns or roman is or if they listen to joe or if they listen to well i won't say joe rogan because obviously joe rogan has a huge audience but like mm-hmm. not alex jones like like granted he has a very small enthousi- enthusiastic audience but it doesn't reach like mainstream no. And here we're expected it to, you know, him to be broadcast again with this Vitajex deal. He suddenly gets broadcast into 60 million homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. Like here, here I feel like there's a turn because Marsha, like 
initially we see her, she's very bright. She's a very active character in the way in which she like supports him or like rebuffs his his um, romantic advances. Because um, there is a lot of chemistry between them as well. But it's it's after this Vitajex deal, they do they do seal the deal, um, mm. and that's when you meet this other guy, Joey, and this agency, and and rockets off to start him in New York City. And then she she basically does nothing like her. Her costumes change in a very obvious way. She's in light colors clothing when she first finds him, and she's just like this little radio producer in Arkansas. And then when he finds success and, and starts to lose his soul in New York, she's in like funeral clothes. Yeah. And her oh, hair and that's when wound. all the shadows start coming in. Like the whole yeah. production design changes mm-hmm. and the yeah. cinematography changes. Like it becomes like dark and bathed in shadow. Like yeah. you know, he's lost it. He's lost his soul. Um, yeah. That's also when you know, like he he obviously kind of gets entailed with a bunch of power brokers you know the general is the kind of main one who's kind of mm-hmm. like he doesn't want him to get involved in politics and and you know like uh lonesome rolls doesn't want to either but he wants to be one that sways public opinion so yeah it's it's kind of interesting his role cuz he's kind of like like again his his job is to hawk products and to, but also to be like the common everyday folk like put a face to things and it gets especially embarrassing when his show eventually takes on like he has fake actors sitting around him where yeah. he it's, it's oh it's the cracker barrel that's what it's called yes. <laughs> loads and rolls cracker barrel <laughs> where he can just kind of like sit and opine you know his his infowars show where he can just talk about the things of the day yeah. but obviously he's surrounded by like actors and artifice you know it's on a set but it's meant to look like a home you're right like i i don't mind it when satire is too obvious so i actually i really appreciated this movie and again like it's just hard to watch like seeing how kind of like dated it is and i would like to see it kind of redone where you know maybe he is a podcaster for the 21st century version you know maybe he is like an influencer and you know we're watching like live record like him going live or something like that yeah at, at one point he does say that i'm an influencer um mm-hmm. which obviously has more has a is an official title now in the, in the age of social media um but you're right, like, in that, I think the one thing it misses, at least what we've seen in the last four years, is that, yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't aspire to be a political consultant. He would be the politician himself because he can talk to the people and what their aspirations are. Like, he wouldn't do it on somebody's behalf. Um, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Also, like, we can see, like, he's attracted to power, but I, I don't see, like, a lot of... There's not a lot, a lot of um, financial influence behind it. Like, yes, he's given this huge penthouse at the top of the skyscraper in New York City, but like, th- there's this big long meeting with a senator who aspires to be president, and he wants like his his counsel, his help, to make it happen. And like, he, he kind of reads in the riot act and saying like, "Oh, you're just a boring old stooge. Like, you, know, you gotta you gotta build up your personality, like I like me, like so." But like, at no point does he say like, "Oh, this will cost you you know x x amount of dollars or something." <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah. But I do think the major vice that he develops is uh, lust as he as he gets his power, because yeah. the, the complication is the fact that once he kind of becomes a mega media star, you know, a woman, a woman shows up being like, I'm Mrs. Rhodes. Oh, <laughs> and this is after the point he's already promised that he's going to marry uh, Marsha. Marsha. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking at the time, like, well, I mean, this is kind of untowards for the 1950s, but hey, it could be worse. At least she's not underage. Cut to (laughs) him going to his old high school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where he can look lecherously at the uh, cheerleaders and the baton twirlers. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, oh, they came from all over the region, like um, <laughs> to show off. And yeah, one in particular catches his eye, and even though uh, he he promises Marsha, like I got to listen, I got to go to Juarez, divorce this lady, and then I'll come back and and we'll tie the knot. Instead, he goes with a seventeen year old, and um, <laughs> and ties the knot with her instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, John, technically, 17 in some areas is the age of consent. Okay, so... <laughs> I mean, in Arkansas in this day and age, it was probably like 13. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, it, it reminded me, I don't know if this happened yet, but who who was the rocker who like married his own cousin who was only 14 years old? Oh. Like Jerry Lee Lewis or something? Yeah, like, the guy who sang Great Balls of Fire. That's yeah. the guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. so no wonder you wouldn't marry your cousin if... Yeah. <laughs> But um, Tish. Anyway, um, it it reminded me of of that, and I thought they would play up that that scandal a little bit more. But instead, it's 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 interesting because it, uh, at this point, Marsha feels so sidelined, and it's like you can either choose your lane. You can make this a personal story just between those two characters, or make it a ridiculous social satire. And it, it instead, it tries to like weave both. I don't know if director Ilya Kazan is is up to it. I think you're right. I think this is, but I will say this is a way better directed movie than East of Eden. Um, I remember complaining that that is like a tip, prototypical 50s movie where the camera is like out wide to get the full body performances. Like we don't do a uh, shot reverse shot as much. There's only one shot I remember where the camera's like moving with a character and getting their perspective. Here, the camera work and stuff is done way better. Like, Well, I think when... it's because the, the more confined spaces, this is a lot of tiny rooms mm-hmm. that this is taking place in. Whereas East of Eden, it was like, you know, oh, the farmland of California. Yes, <laughs> we, have to show, no, we have to show the epic grandeur of Salinas, California. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> here you're right. And uh, it's it's edited a lot more sharply. There's a lot more yeah. kind of like good use of sound and just kind of like quick cuts and things like that. Even yeah. though there's still a lot. Of, it's still a 50s movie. So there's a lot of fade to blacks. So, <laughs> yeah. Or that great interlude, like you said, there's a whole commercial for Vitajex, and mm-hmm. you know when they do like the the hard sell and then the soft sell, like that's <laughs> that's well done. I like the scenes when he's when he's first starting out in the at the radio station, like he's in the sound, he's in the I don't know in the recording booth, whatever you call it, and you know there are people framed in the sound room like reacting to him, so you get like faces in the background, and yeah, so it's much better directed. But I think w- the way the story unfolds, it like it didn't grab me as satire and it didn't grab me as like a personal drama like kind of the marriage of the or the the, the compromise between the two left me unsatisfied like mm. <laughs> i i liked it as a satire i was getting a lot of like network vibes and network is one of my favorite movies so i do appreciate it on that terms you're right the the kind of love story quote unquote kind of falls flat because like the whole point is the fact that lonesome Rhodes, as he loses his soul like you kind of realize how transactional his relationships are to people and the big payoff with the the young bride who ends up you know he ends up marrying is she ends up cheating her not they don't really consummate the relationship but obviously you know he's a philanderer so yeah. it's like he has no problem you know like betting other women but as soon as she starts like flirting with other men it's a big problem and she does like you know in the divorce proceedings like he literally says you're fired <laughs> like you know this idea that <laughs> and of course his whole relationship with Marsha, it's meant to be like uh on a certain level abusive because it's like yeah. he only comes to her when he needs help he only comes to her in his lowest moments and what does he do he threatens to kill himself if she doesn't do what she wants <laughs> so like like there's you're there's this kind of like tinge of darkness to the story but you're like does it 100 percent do it well not necessarily because i don't think we spend enough time with marcia as a character 
Um, yeah, we just well, kind of see her fretting a lot, and you know yes. she she gives it a good performance, but yeah, there's not there's not enough of, for her to do except like look on worryingly as he as Rhodes like you know gets hungry like you know becomes like more devilish as he goes on. Yeah, as you said in the last half, she's just fretting in funeral clothes, basically. Like, and I think it's because like I expected more because she's really our point of view character. She's the one who enters and introduces us to Lonesome Roads, and mm-hmm. like she's the one I could identify with as an audience member versus this super charismatic guy turned demagogue um, slash influence peddler. Yeah, I, I I guess that's a that's where the disconnect is. Um, it did pull me back a little bit because there's another uh, contemporary feature to this movie, and that's cancel culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually, so I was gonna say this is this is actually the one part I would update about this yeah. movie. So obviously, this movie does the classic trope where you know he's like, ah, these fools, these idiots, they don't know what's good for him. <laughs> oh, if yeah. only someone caught him on camera saying that, his career would be over in a second. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens? You know, like she. And again, this is where like the agency comes in. She's the one who ends up flipping the switch. I kind of mm-hmm. wish it hit it. Like I wish you know we didn't know yeah. who's the one who flipped the switch. Because again, like the last ten minutes are her like uh, you know like pretending like she wasn't the one who kind of ruined his whole career. Was a man among men? Are those morons out there? Yeah. I can take chicken fertilizer instead of doing some caviar. I can make them eat dog food and they'll think it's steak. <laughs> Sure, I got them like this. You know what the public's like, a cage full of guinea pigs. Good night, you stupid idiot. (laughs) Good night, you miserable slob. (laughs) There are a lot of trained seals. I toss them a dead fish and they'll flap their flippers. Well, Why, he's a monster. I'm gonna call the station up and give him a piece of my mind. Well, thanks, you, Jack the scene plays out like she's got to reach across the switchboard and it's like a close-up on her face and it's like silent movie era acting yeah. <laughs> which like oh like i gotta hold it down and, and people are like no marcia don't 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 let this uh his missive go out live on air exactly. it'll ruin it's him. also yeah. like vaguely sexist where it's like oh of course a hysterical woman would you know <laughs> mess it up would ruin everything <laughs> i I, di- I didn't necessarily do that my my problem with and this is just a, a whole issue with movies, is I think it has a dim view of the, quote, masses. And that's, it, like, this is social satire, but it has to show masses as, like, only one way. Again, like, I, I bristle at how loud and brash uh, Lonesome mm-hmm. Road is, but they don't show any characters like that. Instead, they show everybody, all, all of his audience in their living rooms and dining rooms and, like, saying, like, yeah, he's right. Or And then once this thing comes out, like, I can't believe he talks about people that way. Let's uh, uh, phone the station and throw out his <laughs> Immediately records. Immediately turn and, him off. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's what I would update with this story, is that if it, if this were done in 2021, mm-hmm. the recording, the bad video would come out, and, you know, there would be a discussion for, like, five minutes, and then everything would just go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> there would be no consequences, because we live in a consequence-free age now. <laughs> yeah, or maybe, um, <laughs> I think they would set up, like, something, like some, I don't, I don't like his, like his, div- like, um, his divorced wife, like his previous ex-wife from Juarez would come back and just be like, I've got this tape, I'm going to cancel you, or something. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> once, yeah, like, when social media gets their hand on this, it's over for you. And, like, yeah, because I think, like, powerful people 
I think there's some projection here. I think filmmakers and people who make movies in mass media do want to be influential, like Lonesome mm. Road, like Lonesome Roads is, and I think there's some like projection, like, and we want that, but we also see the folly in it. Or I think they also see themselves as as the writer played by Walter Matthau, like the smart erudite one <laughs> yeah. who puts him in his place at the very end. Um, who you know sits, who's comfortable sitting in the background, like the hardworking one, the one who's actually yeah. you know putting in all the work. You're right. And the uh, pensive one who's college educated, not this not this guy who is I've worked for it uh, by <laughs> sitting in a classroom, rather than this chump who you know gets lifted up uh, out of obscurity um, just just for his charm. Arm and talents, <laughs> not like me. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of right, like I did. Now I'm pondering like the whole kind of idea of you're right. The idea of like the mass, like the masses, because again, you don't want to talk down to your audience because that's the people watching the movie. But yeah. you're right. Like, is that the reason why they kind of made it? They felt obligated to kind of make him from Arkansas to make him Southern. So it's like, oh, these poor rubes, like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's some... Well, it's because it's a movie. Like, you're not going to capture all of life and its little nuances and things in two hours. And I'm just saying that also just because, coincidentally, we talked about um, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 that hinges on this uh, wishing stone that it that falls into everyone's hands. And what do they do? They do the most selfish thing they can think of, like, immediately, and it causes all this conflict. Like, mm-hmm. you don't see the characters, like, wishing that, you know, my medical debt disappeared, or, you know, <laughs> or that I had my grandfather back. Or yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I, so all right. There, there's point, that, yeah. and there's not yeah. enough time to capture all the nuances of everyday life. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, th- so, that's, so I see that that's why. Also because... I, I don't know. I I think that's the reason and not necessarily like, oh, because they have a low opinion of people. I mean, that's entirely possible too, but... um. Listen, I'm not through yet. You know what's going to happen to me? Suppose I tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to be back in television. Only it won't be quite the same as it was before. There'll be a reasonable cooling off period and then somebody will say, why don't we try them again in an inexpensive format? People's memories aren't too long. And you know, in a way, he'll be right. Some of the people forget and some of them won't. Oh, you'll have a show. Maybe not the best hour in the top 10, maybe not even in the top 35. But you'll have a show. Just won't be quite the same as it was before. And a couple of new fellas will come along and pretty soon a lot of your fans will be flocking around them. And then one day somebody will ask, whatever happened to, uh, what's his name? You know, the one who was so big. The number one fella a couple of years ago. He was famous. How can we forget a name like that? Oh, by the way, have you seen uh, Barry Mills? I think he's the greatest thing since Will Rogers. I mean, I liked this movie. I thought it was really good. And I thought I was, again, like I was interested in the parallels to the, the satire of today, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have cigarette commercials anymore. But yet, like the idea that, you know, someone can come from nowhere and become a demagogue overnight. Like, um, I thought that was interesting. And you're right. I think that the satire elements work a lot better than the, the, the interpersonal drama of the movie, unfortunately. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit the opposite. I really admire this movie. And I like the first half because of that. A little bit of the interplay between him and Marsha and his ascendancy to being this demigog. Mm-hmm. And and it is very entertaining, and Ilya Kazan's doing an amazing job um, 
in in terms of his directing chops, like making it really compelling. But yeah, it's once the the shadows start to come in and we have to make this turn, and then I felt like yeah, it was it was losing me a little bit. Um, but I still I think definitely worthy of 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 seeing at least once. Definitely worthy of its its place in the Congressional Library of Congress and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Criterion like other, collection, I think. Yeah, it's, all the yeah. other accolades that it's received. Yeah. Um, I do want to <laughs> kind of mention uh, Ely Kazan as a candidate for this movie um, because um, he's he's a guy politically um, who's got a lot of. Um, I I found it interesting in that um, I think I think this is there's an ironic thing in that um, Lonesome Roads gives this the kind of old stodgy senator a big platform to launch his political campaign and announce his mandate. And um, what the what the um, candidate cho- chooses to do is um, come out against Social Security and how indeed how it uh, makes people soft and coddled. <laughs> and obviously, pol- uh, politically, that's really kind of a, a third rail that nobody wants to touch anymore. Um, and I wonder, like, is that is that something that, ironically, that um, let's say let's say a, a political centrist like um, Ilya Kazan may come out in favor of like he's in favor of social security but against his colleagues who had um, communist leanings or <laughs> um i think it was more the fact that like because again like early in the movie you know he takes some kind of big political swings you know representing women and representing you know black folks so i do think that it's kind of meant to show a shift in his ideology and also this idea that like maybe it was intentional like you're right like social security is a third rail that no politician would ever claim to want to touch but like maybe that's kind of the point is the fact that you know oh my folksy downhole wisdom they'll believe anything these rubes like even something they claim they like i'll convince them otherwise so yeah maybe okay. it was kind of intentional like maybe it was again this this kind of like either showing his shifting political leanings where now he's kind of leaning into more of the Southern stereotype or it's mm-hmm. again, like something that's incredibly popular. He can still kind of sway people into believing the opposite. So, okay. Yeah. yeah maybe it's just a design to show, demonstrate his change over the course. I, of the I movie, think it's like, also auteur theory. You're thinking too much about like Ilya, cause, like, cause he yeah. didn't write it, Greg. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Um, that he was that just credit a... goes to Bud Spurgman. Yeah. <laughs> based on his his short story but yeah anyway i i don't know I, he's such a he's such an interesting figure yeah because he's a brilliant artist but also like yeah, it's probably one of the worst people to come out of hollywood um for those that don't know Eli kazan um I, I don't know his political leanings but when the house on un-american activities was coming after hollywood and, and attempting to read out communists he ratted out his friends and um basically mm. testified like yeah these are the people who have communist leanings and i'm not sure if it was ideological on his part if it was more like opportunistic or kind of like this immediate reaction like sure i'll just help out the government and not realizing the obvious consequences of that but uh yeah again it's just something that kind of that i don't know needles in my mind that just you know kind of weaves in and out like a like a thread on a loom like you know on the one hand this but on the other hand that like i don't know (laughs) okay i didn't know about the whole blacklist stuff so uh you're right you know greg those are just externalities that i don't i don't concern myself with i'm just looking at the text here greg okay (laughs) sure yeah we're as as we're ones to do Um, (laughs) (laughs) why was the movie in black and white weren't there color movies at this time this (laughs) forget it zero stars Yeah. (laughs) yeah well if i'd only left him in that jail and picket marcia stop it you were taken in just like we were all taken but we get wise to him that's our strength. Come back, we get wise. 
boring. <laughs> <laughs> when the hell is Godzilla going to show up? <laughs> I want to see him fight Kong. <laughs> I know. I want a man in a suit versus a claymation figure. <laughs> yes. You see, one bathed, one is bathed in red light. The other one, blue light. Oh. And it's these contrasting colors, you see. It's just so depressing watching Godzilla, King of the Monsters, because it's like, if you ask 14-year-old me, this is everything, this is the perfect movie. <laughs> but now I'm in, I'm post-30s now, and I just... But John, that, that movie already came out. It was Godzilla 1998. That is the perfect movie. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's, the problem is they didn't have enough comedic characters in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. No. They needed, like, the wisecracking cameraman, the yeah. wisecracking, you know, girl from Queens. This voice of the Simpsons and this voice of the Simpsons. And yeah. Roland and Emmerich's Godzilla, perfect movie. Yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Wouldn't change yeah. a thing. <laughs> well, John, I'm, I'm glad we can have, like, uh, these contrarian opinions and shed some light on something else. I mean, maybe we can, like, devote a, a segment of the episode to that. What do you think? <sighs> I just don't think it'll work, Rick. I'm sorry. Okay. I, th- I think you're. I think you're swinging too big for the fences. But right, maybe if you gave me some kind of like in, in in the terms of like an old-fashioned like Arkansas and like you know like spiel like that, like get on your Cracker Barrel and tell me tell me what you really think. <laughs> well, all right, all right, <laughs> all right, there, uh, guys and gals, <laughs> listen up, listen up here as I gather around the Cracker Barrel. Now, as my mama said, you know, you don't recommend something at the end of the episode. You know, you're gonna be <laughs> that's like ugly on a pig right there. All right, <laughs> so. All right, I'm thoroughly convinced. Okay, let's <laughs> let's end this episode. Our recommendation segment we call Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I have a kind of light recommendation. Um, it's a it's a small light. Sh- yeah. Okay. So it's you know it's a it's an 11 minute show you can watch on Adult Swim. You can find a lot of it on YouTube. It's a it's a All character right. and a person. The person we need right now. He's really the hero we need. I'm talking okay. about Joe Para, and I'm talking about Joe Para talks to you. Now Joe Para is a comedian, right? But he is a comedian, and it's it's the it's the Stephen Colbert thing where he he's he's developed this character who uses his name, his own name. So yeah. Joe Para. I was gonna make the comparison to Tim Heidecker, maybe or. Mm-hmm. Like, but because uh, it's also it's also a little weirder, right? This is sort of, like Joe Para. He's he's kind of an amalgam of this kind of lonesome older gentleman you might meet in the Midwest, where it just like you come across him and he just wants to talk your ear off because you know there's <laughs> there's a certain level of loneliness you sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I was looking up stuff for like when I was looking at more episodes on YouTube, like I saw some stuff he did for like MTV where they tried to turn him into like a kind of. Uh, like kind of a gotcha prank kind of thing, but more in the mm-hmm. vein of like a Nathan Fielder where it's just like his kind of like smooth presence kind of makes people like kind of uh, unguarded and they'll say like really stupid stuff because <laughs> he's just he's just this kind of like lonely kind of soft spoken like milk toast kind of person. But, you know, it's the perfect kind of character you want for Adult Swim because Adult Swim, you know, part of the programming is not just, you know, the kind of like unexpected like balls out there kind of strange stuff that they can kind of get away with mm. it's also they choose their programming block based on the time it's airing so joe para talks to you the first episode is joe para talks you to sleep <laughs> like he's smoothing he's a soothing balm <laughs> okay. you know the first episode is you know him talk him musing on like the rain and how there's no better sound than rain hitting a window panel and it'll just cut like a just solid 60 seconds of just you know window uh, uh, rain hitting a window pane and it's just yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous it's almost high art what he does <laughs> like <laughs> There's one episode in particular where he's just walking through the woods with a pumpkin, 
and you know it's like it's like cut like it's not quite like a Terrence Malick film, but it's like artfully directed, and <laughs> you know it leads to him on a river on a river creek, and he just takes the pumpkin and like lets it go. <laughs> you know we zoom in on his face, and he gets he, he he you know his face just like it's pensive, and it's saddened that he has to but like joyous like he he had to let an old friend go, and we follow this pumpkin go through the waves, going through the rapids as it goes over this waterfall. And we get this beautiful aerial drone shot of this waterfall somewhere in Michigan. And then the voiceover comes in. The water looks like root beer from here, huh? <laughs> and, and then goes on for another five minutes on the brown coloring of the water is from, like, alkalis and, you know, the pH balance. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's just, yeah. it's so weird but so perfectly pitched and it's such just such a great show especially in our in our time kind of des, like defined by its anxiety that everyday life gets us it's just it's just a it's a wonderful kind of odd show to watch so okay so i was thinking of like an obvious comedy setup there like again he's speaking to like he's trying to talk in this gentle voice and rain hitting the window pane and he's like you know it also reminds me of a jackhammer in the middle of the street and then like cutting to that for 60 seconds like you know remind you where you are in the city and that progress is always you know <laughs> no it's tomorrow yeah i mean it does it, it gets weird obviously and there's kind of mm-hmm. like unexpected moments but it never gets like particularly dark the the weirdest segment i can recall is he's musing about breakfast <laughs> and so he goes to his local diner yeah, and there's you know there's there's people sitting around in their little like tables, and he starts like chatting with them, and they make a particular point to say like, well, we can't invite you to sit down and eat breakfast with us, unfortunately, because there's an important conversational balance, something that everyone brings to the table here that your presence would just ruin if you were here. <laughs> I hope you understand. And Joe Perez like, I completely understand. It's completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's my well, wife. Like, and you know, obviously, it's it's kind of that. I, I talked a bit about Step Brothers a few weeks ago, or a few episodes, mm-hmm. or a few decades ago, whenever we did that <laughs> yeah, episode. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's what what kind of invites you in is like, oh, you think this Joe Parra character is like the only odd one, but once he starts interacting with the world, oh, you realize the whole world is operating on this level. So there's kind of mm-hmm. that weird level of discovery to it. That that kind mm-hmm. of comedic uh, inspiration there. So okay. Yeah. Well, I know one one little sketch. I think it's from the same skit, like that diner. Mm-hmm. Um, it it features one of my other favorite weird comedians, Connor O'Malley, and <laughs> who aspires to have the perfect bite of breakfast and can't do it, and his kids are disappointed in him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's it. it I, I, yeah, it came highly recommended from a lot of other sources, including YouTube's algorithm. So yeah, maybe I'll give it more of a more of a shot because. I yeah, mean, unfortunately, I uh, Apple or not Apple. Um, uh, Adult Swim is a bit more protective of their content. You can find mm. a few episodes on YouTube because, again, their their episodes are only eleven minutes long. But yeah, like you'll be able to at least find some like good clips. Although I think it 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 works as a piece because obviously it's meant to be kind of a mood piece, and so you're like you really kind of capture that you know full sixty seconds of rain hitting a window pane, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and uh, I haven't fallen asleep to an episode yet because I'm just so enraptured, I'm so enthralled. <laughs> okay. okay, they should be shown in a gallery, not on a not a computer screen. All right, fair enough. That's that's high praise, John. Yeah. So. You said this was a, a soft recommendation. That I don't. That's that feels about as heavy as they come. So oh, okay, thank you, thank you for that one. All I right. just meant soft in terms of like in terms of 
content it's not you know <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not it's not a huge huge oh greg like you probably have some kind of full-throated recommendation of some massive oh, multi-million dollar budgeted piece of movie aren't you absolutely absolutely john and and you dropped his name in in a, in a light way in a referential way i'm going to the i'm going to the source i'm going to the full thing you said his name terrence malick mm-hmm. i saw one of his movies that i'm just catching up on now it just dropped on the on the criterion collection a full three-hour cut of his 2005 film, The New World, and damn, yeah. If you feel, if you feel like, oh, I've already captured the story in Disney's seminal classic, Pocahontas, <laughs> you haven't seen it through the eyes of Terry, Terry Malick. All right, let me tell you. No, um, I want I want to start my recommendation actually with a, a critic's quote. Um, you know, you and I don't like to parrot critics, obviously, but um, I, I feel like um, they can really um, elucidate and express uh, things a certain way. Um, this is from Joe uh, Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal. He also sometimes um, uh, does a... Or, uh, um, <laughs> what does he do for NPR? How would you how would you call that? He also does reviews for NPR. I mean, um, he's no Bob Mandelo, but sure, whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. But he has a very soft voice. Um, he had something to say about the New World when it came out back in uh, late 2005. Um, he called it um, sluggish, underdramatized, and uh, emotionally remote. Um, to which I say, Mr. Morgenstern, fuck off. Wow. <laughs> the, the New World <laughs> is one of the greatest cinematic experiences you will ever enjoy. Wow. <laughs> it is extraordinary. It is amazing. And I will say, not sophisticated. Like, at times challenging, but it's not exactly sophisticated. Like, you know how Terrence Malick works. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, you know how regular movies work. Regular movies, they, like, plan out what they do. They script things. They make, like, costume changes. And they know, like, how things are going to go. And then, you know, characters have these arcs. You have this thing. Life doesn't work like that, and I think that's what Terrence Malick is trying to find. <laughs> so he took, I think, thirty to forty million dollars, set up like a exquisitely, um, exquisitely set up like camp, like the first Jamestown colony, like recreated that in in Virginia, um, hired these world class actors, and then let his camera like drift in the fields and follow a butterfly, mm-hmm. and um, so so it's it again. Like not sophisticated, like he's he and his like hugely talented uh, cinematographer um, Emmanuel Lubitsky are just kind of capturing the beauty and grandeur of the of this kind of like um, untainted world, the new world as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it they they like find it immediately. I don't know how much like work went into like it, but they find it like on the first day and they nail it like every time. Yeah. And so like yeah, it's not exactly it's it's not like where I can say like, Oh, like he's making this choice to frame it this way or whatever. Like don't intellectualize it. You don't have to like, let the movie, let all three hours just wash over you in just cinematic rhapsody here. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I, one of the things I know about his technique is the fact that he kind of lets the actors kind of find it, which yeah. is putting a lot of faith in these people. Cause sometimes <laughs> like, especially if we're talking about like Christian Bale, like he sometimes makes big decisions. Um, well, this is this is like pre two thousand ten Christian Bale, so mm-hmm. it's okay. And in this cut of the movie, he doesn't show up until the last like thirty minutes or so. Oh, um, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let let me describe some of those characters. Um, John Smith is played by uh, Colin Farrell, um, who is who is like a I think a little emotionally remote, which he has to be because at least in this set in this setup of the story, I'm not sure how um, true to history it is, but um, he's basically a prisoner on this boat. 
and and he's the one that's that's forced to you know to kind of trek these dangerous voyages into into native territory um, or natural territory, however they describe it. And it's also his his voiceover, like kind of plaintively, like looking over like the circumstance they're in Jamestown and the nature they're surrounded by. Um, so so like yeah, th there's some like remove, but yeah, there's something about it that feels like emotionally honest compared to like Christian Bale's like <laughs> most recent performances where he's like a cartoon character. <laughs> Yeah, um, but what also helps is um, the casting of, um, and I'm gonna just completely uh, kind of butcher her name. Her name, yeah, um, uh, Karanka Kelcher. Um, she's a native actress. I'm not sure um, from from which nation, but um, she plays Pocahontas. Um, they never they never actually say that name. And again, like not true to history. She, um, I think she was 19 when they shot this movie. Like history kind of dictates that Pocahontas was between the age of 10 and 13. She didn't have a romantic relationship with um, uh, John Smith on like this movie. And yeah, it's like the, but it just the, the kind of like the, the intimacy they have just when they're like kind of pottering around the, <laughs> the field and, you know, just um, like the, the music blaring, like you can sit like um, a big musical suite that keeps coming back is Wagner's um, Das Rheingold, mm -hmm. like the, the gods entering and the, and the music builds and builds and builds. Um, you can obviously put that over like, you know, your, your grocery <laughs> shopping and it'll, and it'll seem epic, but you know, like <laughs> Malik does it to great effect here. Um, he also, he also does like cut it short. So it's like blue balls, like each time, mm -hmm. each time he pulls, it back um but yeah i mean this is telling the, the what we know the legend of pocahontas or at least what we know of like kind of the the mythology behind it and um so yeah they do fall in love but it also kind of it doesn't shy away from how difficult the the winters and the circumstances were or the conflict like i think what also helps is that there's there's actual movement in the plot too this isn't like terrence malick's more recent movies where to the wonder really, and uh, yeah he yeah. hasn't really found like a story or something or mm -hmm. like is trying to combine um, the birth of the universe with a, 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 a somewhat uneventful childhood, or like, yeah. Greg, his like, dad I, was emotionally distant. Okay. All right. Yes, and technically, his brother may have drowned. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to diminish the impact of that either. Um, but there's there's motion going on in addition to the emotion that the story is conveying here. So, um, and and again, I don't know how like true to life this is. Hist uh, how true to history this is, but like uh, the. the the ways in which like um we kind of see characters conflicted because uh, john smith doesn't want to like carry through with this romance and obviously like pocahontas is crestfallen and and john rolf's like sees that she's pining for this other guy uh john rolf is um played by christian bale and she sees that you know he's pining or that she's like more emotionally distant and they still like you know kind of connect in this way and and like even on her trip to England and how that's, that's really the new world to her. Cause now we're seeing kind of things through her eyes. Like, yeah, it's all just all like wonderfully done. And so like, I can't, I can't um, extol the virtues of this movie enough. I don't know if I've like kind of uh, <laughs> um, been enthusiastic enough in my, in my um, encouragement for you to see this movie. Um, again, all three hours of it. Um, it's a lot, but I think it's a, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's um, can't get enough of it. So I would have right. watched a, a six hour cut of it. So <laughs> Freaking nerd, am I right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I go on, I go out on these emotional limbs. I look a little vulnerable for a second, and then. <laughs> no, I mean it's uh, it's one of those films that I obviously know I should check out, but also feels like homework. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to be spending See, more time on the Criterion Channel, absolutely. So yeah. Well, no, d John, don't look at it as homework. I mean, I hope I hope my enthusiasm translates that this is still like an enjoyable cinematic experience. Like, no, you're right. You're right. It's yeah. just you know, oh, it's, uh, three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I th yeah, it, I wish I could see maybe a shorter cut of it because, yeah, it does get a little overindulgent in those long sequences in which, like, you know, <laughs> as, as I said, um, uh, John Smith and Pocahontas are just pottering around the fields <laughs> or <Yep>. something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But even, like, in the moments when we do, like, have to get to the mechanics of, like, oh, we, we can't survive this harsh winter in Jamestown or whatever. Like, you know, there's no conventional dialogue scene and it cuts back to something, like, more interesting or, like, gosh, there, there's a there's an Indian who the, who the um, or excuse me, um, uh, a member of the Powhatan tribe who just potters around Jamestown and everyone like just considers him crazy, um, mm -hmm. even even his fellow like Powhatan folks. So like, and he's played by yeah. Johnny Depp, right? I <laughs> no, I don't I don't know who the actor is. <laughs> Classic Native American actor Johnny Depp, right? <laughs> I don't know, but like, yeah, just finding like. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying to all like aspiring filmmakers out there, go do a movie the way that Terrence Malick does, because you probably won't find it no. the first time. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I talked about a a, a Julian Schnabel film um, called At Eternity's Gate about Van Gogh, um, who shoots movies the same way. Like you know, they go out without a script, and he just follows like an actor like William Defoe around. And I feel like that time, like he didn't find it. Like, but mm. here. Like Terrence Malick finds it, like finds something just so like I, I literally felt myself surrounded by by Virginia, like watching this movie. So, okay. all right, yeah. all right, I'll check it out. All right, yeah. all right. hearty recommendation. I, I like I like watching you get enthusiastic and flustered. So this okay. this is still yeah. worth it for me. So all right, all right. Um, John, I've got something else here. Uh, if you want to feel enthusiastic and oh, flustered. Oh no, no, no! Yes. I'm not prepared. I haven't yeah, done my I homework. <laughs> Nor should you be, because it's trivia challenge time. No! Oh, jeez. Oh, I hope people. I hope people enjoy trivia challenge as much as I do. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's important because you know we're big trivia aficionados, and in quarantine, mm -hmm. obviously, we can't do trivia. I used to host trivia, and I don't get to do it anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're bringing it up for both you and the audience. Now, John, um, this movie, uh, <laughs> uh, 15 years ago, we talked about a face in the crowd here. Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, that movie obviously launched the career of Andy Griffith. Uh, just a, um, a whirlwind performance and, and uh, really uh, shined a spotlight on him. And it got me thinking about a lot of other movies uh, that really uh, launched people into stardom. And so that's what this trivia challenge is about. I'm going to give you... Uh, a description of an actor and the plot of the movie, and you got to tell me who the who what the movie is and what actor it launched into stardom. Okay, yeah. This sounds like one of those like trivia games where it's like just kind of talk about your favorite movie in five words or less or something like that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not that. It's not that difficult. Okay. Um, I did drop a, a few hints in there. Uh, All right. If you feel like you can't identify the actor uh, or the movie itself, uh, so um, again, look out for little subtle clues. Okay. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. All right, uh, question one. This actor made a great escape from obscurity and shot to fame like a bullet when he starred in this movie about an extraterrestrial creature that he eats everything in its path. Well, that would obviously be Steve McQueen, and you're referencing <laughs> The Blob. Yes. Rectamundo. Invites, invites, and falls across the floor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any excuse to get that song back in your head. Yes. Okay. <laughs> John, you nailed it. All right, I hope my head's helped. All right, question two. You don't have to wait until dark to see this fair lady escape her royal trappings and explore Rome with a handsome American reporter. Well, that would, of course, be... Oh, damn it. I always get them mixed up. It's Audrey Hepburn, and the movie is Roman Holiday. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I almost, I always call her Catherine Hepburn. Why was how there much, too... How much better would that movie be with Catherine Hepburn? <laughs> Oh, jeez, I'm a queen or something? I don't understand. 
<laughs> oh, you you reporter, you think he's you know everything. <laughs> All right, question number three. This quiet man demonstrated true grit when he starred in this movie about how the West was won by transporting a group of colorful characters across hostile territory. Well, Pilgrim, it turns out it's John Wayne in his classic movie Stagecoach. Yes. I Correct again. I hope I didn't make it too obvious. We have watched all these movies for the podcast, but again, that was 10, 15 years ago. So. There you go, yes. Also, my, the quarantine has turned my brain into complete mush. So, okay, yeah. All right, question four. Before this actor's career took flight, he had fallen just a little short of Oscar glory when he was nominated for playing civil rights activist Stephen Biko in this movie. Well, it's Denzel Washington, but... I, I don't know how you can tell that, but... Okay. <laughs> I don't know what movie it is. I don't. I want to say Malcolm X, but I know I definitely know that's not his first movie. No, um, it was the, where he re- received his first Oscar nomination in, in the Best Supporting Actor category. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It actually starred um, Kevin Kline as the White Savior. Um, so, oh. <laughs> yeah. Was it Fences? I bet it was Fences. I don't <laughs> know. It was not Fences. Okay. Uh, it was Cry Freedom. Oh, okay. When yeah. does that mean? 1989? 1987. Okay. Um, this is a little unfair, because technically he he uh, rose to stardom, quote-unquote, on St. Elsewhere. Um, oh. But this is the one that gave, gave him, like, the heavyweight accolades. Like, he could prove he was a movie star. Yes. <laughs> All right, so half point for that one. All right, question five. This drop-dead gorgeous Oscar nominee was a true underdog when she made her big arrival in this quirky drama about an art dealer's return to their native North Carolina. Um, I believe it is Amy Adams and the movie is Junebug. Correct again, John. <sighs> again, another rocketing off to stardom with a with a supporting actor nomination. I mean, um, I'll always remember her for her star turn on Smallville, where she plays someone who gets infected with an alien and she <laughs> like grows an insatiable appetite. It's like an episode yes. about bulimia. I don't know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that distinctly as well. Um, <laughs> at one point, she she gets so um, insatiable, she unhinges her jaw and eats a, and eats a whole um, deer that's roadkill. Yes. <laughs> And quality show, Smallville. Um, <laughs> yes, great show, Smallville. <laughs> All right. All right, question number six. This member of Hollywood royalty is a real Iron Man, <laughs> appearing in nearly 70 films over the course of his career. But he showed some crazy heart in this coming-of-age tale set in rural Texas. Okay, you made this a little too easy. <laughs> it's <What>? Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the movie is <laughs> The Last Picture Show. <laughs> How did I make it easy? I don't understand. <laughs> and we wish him well. He's going through cancer oh, yes. cancer remission right now, hopefully. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I still don't understand how I made it too easy. I mean, <laughs> he's the Iron Man, right? He's. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, he plays the titular Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's called The Iron Man. People forget this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I don't know about you. I'm having the time of my life here. <laughs> uh, no, it's fun. It's definitely... I'm just glad I know it. I was afraid I was going to like him and Hall, but no, I... I, I... I know all these, so I'm okay. proud of myself. <laughs> yes. All right, question seven. I could spend hours telling you about this actress, but instead of going down that rabbit hole, I'll tell you that she was far and away the best part of this, thr- uh, of this thriller about a married couple on a pleasure cruise in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> um. <laughs> this is definitely the hardest one by far. <laughs> I, I want to say... 
I want to say Nicole Kidman, but again, I don't. Is it out of Africa with Robert Redford? Is that Redford? the movie? Or like, yeah. yeah. Well, technically, that was Meryl Streep. That's what you're thinking. Fuck, about. damn it. All right, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Meryl Streep was in Out of Africa. Okay, I, I did not know that. And that was Robert Redford. I'm not wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all no, right. Good, Robert good. Redford was in that movie. Yeah. I want to say Nicole Kidman, but again, I can't name the, the first movie she was ever in. Okay, so. you're, you're right, and it is Nicole Kidman. Um, she's the only one that was in Far and Away and Rabbit Hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More, it was smaller work. I couldn't get Moulin Rouge in there. Um, <laughs> but it, it is Nicole Kidman, and the movie's called Dead Calm. I so. mean, I feel like a destroyer listening to that <laughs> question. <laughs> did that work? Did I see, do it right? Not so, yeah, see, not so easy, is it? Right, no, again, many... like, the fact that you're not Hollywood royalty right now with these writing chops, I'm really disappointed. I know. <laughs> I know. Spirit of everyone's wondering when, when, who's the next Gene Shallot. And so, <laughs> all right, last one, John. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Question eight. We're not going to judge this actor's personal life, but this wonder boy could do little wrong in his portrayal of a young drug addict adrift in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> it's. Fuck, I'm blanking on the name. It's it well, it's it's um it's Robert Downey Jr., but I want to say the actor who played his father, but I'm blanking on it. You know, Ted from uh uh Thomas from uh, Godfather. Fuck. <laughs> you know, that guy. Uh, yeah. it's 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 Robert Downey Jr. and it's uh less than zero. <laughs> so again, John, ring the damn cells bell. You were nearly a hundred percent, all right? <laughs> I mean, it's way it's, to go. I mean, it's the movies which were the hard part. It's not knowing the actors; it's the movies. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought so much energy and creativity to that, Greg. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of me too, and I'm <laughs> glad you appreciate it as well. All right, because <laughs> if you didn't, I'd be really disappointed. All right, I'm, no, so I'm, I'm very proud. Skulk and stew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh well, yeah. Greg. Now all that does it, again, like. If we're if we're not overselling it already, I mean, you, this mm. is the kind of stuff that you can see every day when you follow us on social media. Uh, sure, <laughs> we're very active on there. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's not just posting when an episode drops. No, 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 no. It's it's yeah. hot takes galore and and great pun work, obviously. And we've got Bernie absolutely. memes, Bernie memes every day. <laughs> yes, Bernie memes from now until uh, 2028. Um, I'm gonna Photoshop can... Bernie in place of Kong, so it looks like Godzilla's attacking him. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going to put him um, next to uh, Denzel Washington and Kevin Klein and cry freedom. Um, everybody will get it. Trust me. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, give us a follow on social media. That's uh, on Facebook at Aspiring Snobs, on Twitter at Aspiring Snobs, and Instagram at Aspiring Snobs. Mm-hmm. We're there. And um, if you have a, a recommendation for us or a question that you want us to read uh, while we're recording, not on air because we're not on air. We're <laughs> we're recording it, um, not live or live at the time, but not not right now. Well, thank listening. goodness it's not live. I edit out all those terrible things I say about our audience. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> these rubes, these fools. I've got a meeting out of my hand. <laughs> So if you have angry missives to send to John and the network, <laughs> network, um, just email them to aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing you need to do for us, I mean, we've just given you an hour of, of brilliant content. What you need to do is go to your podcast service of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and give us five stars. That's how you help grow the audience and help make our podcast grow prominently and, and, and bloom. Like, And we become you know rich and famous and we forget about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and we say bad things about you on uh, on hot live mics, and yeah. it ruins our career. Don't you want to see that happen to us? I, know I, I want do. powers by the gulpful. I want power by the gulpful. <laughs> I can't get him. The gulpful, yeah. I'm addicted to this vibe, Jax. <laughs> I need it, baby. Hooey! <laughs> well, Greg, all that's left now is to tell them what we're watching next week. Yeah, well, um, I know some people bristle when we watch black and white movies, but um, let's go even further back. Let's go back to silent movies, huh? Hell yeah. I got always fun when we try to edit in clips, and we're just like, you can put whatever the hell you want in there, and who's going to know the difference? Exactly. And you can put it on podcasts while you're watching it. It's great. Like, you know, as if my attention deficit disorder wasn't worse. Yeah. But we're going to be bringing to you, I think, what probably... One of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, silent film of all time, and that is Buster Keaton's The General. Mm-hmm. This will be our second uh, Buster Keaton outing, I believe. Right? Yeah. It's hard. It's, yes. it's hard to tell because it's it's you oh, know no, he's clearly dis- he's clearly distinct from Charlie Chaplin. But then we did Modern Times, and I thought for the longest time that was a Buster Keaton movie, and it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this is technically our first Buster Keaton joint. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, I guess. Oh wait, uh, no, I was confusing it with Safety Last. Who was in Safety Last? Uh, like Harold someone or other. No, okay, <laughs> that's not very Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd. That's Harold it. Lloyd. Yeah. Yes. So I get him and Buster Keaton mixed up. I don't get him confused with Charlie Chaplin because Charlie Chaplin was his own thing. But yeah, him and Harold Lloyd. They're you know, for some reason they're one person in my head, and they're living rent free. Get out, you bums. <laughs> I love how you have that expression of just saying, like, um, oh, I, re- I remember that, or think about that one. <laughs> exactly. Why? <laughs> Instead, there. I, I think it's an indictment of our times, the fact that millennials can't own homes. So, yeah. <laughs> Everything is up and, to uh, uh, Excuse me, John, won't own homes because they're lazy. And and you're they're right. Too much and they don't play enough golf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they weren't like uh, Larry King just knocking on doors and saying, like, you're, you're here now. Um <laughs> Oh, God rest. I know, God rest his soul. He's oh. lobbing softballs at angels now. <laughs> hey, sometimes he brought the heat, like that one to Larry's Jerry Seinfeld interview. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, wait, you were you were canceled? <laughs> he was probably joking. I hope he was joking. Otherwise, his, his brain was going back in uh, 2007 while promoting the movie B-Movie. <laughs> so, next week, watch as we enjoy the B movie. And uh, until then, thank you everybody for listening. Yep. And until next time, keep aspiring.